0: Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from our risen and living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. November 23rd, 2001, day after Thanksgiving, I was a college student trying to sleep in, enjoy my vacation, my couple days of of rest from college. My mom came down at 7 a.m., which is way too early for a college student, right? My mom comes down at 7 a.m., wakes me up, she's got an ad in her hand, she says, you have to go, you have to get this. It's a big screen TV, 75% off. You have to get it for a Christmas present for your dad. I'm like, Mom, it's seven. People have been out there since five. There's no way there's any left. Well, just go see. Go see. Maybe there's some left. No. I got to the store, of course, there there wasn't. There wasn't anything. It, it was long gone. Uh, the rush was kind of petering out, even at, at about quarter to eight when I got there. How nice would it have been, though, if I had gone to the store and the manager had come out and say, Oh, no, don't worry. We saved that deal for the last people to come in. That would have been kind of nice for me, but I think the people who are up all night standing in line might have been a little upset. But that's exactly what Jesus does in our text. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in our text, isn't he? The parable uh, that we have before us today is sandwiched between the saying, he says it twice, at the end of the previous chapter, and then at the end of our parable as well, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus turns the, ri- the line around. And not just the line, he turns the whole world around. We heard in our Old Testament reading, My ways are not your ways. And that's what Jesus is getting at here as well. That those that we think, according to the view of a human view, the way things work in this world, The way that the ones that we think are first, the most powerful, the most wealthy, the the first in prestige, whatever, are last in the kingdom of God. And those who look to us to be the last, the humblest, the weakest, the lowliest, God says, well, no, no, these are first. We read then from Matthew chapter 20, and we're just going to start here with the first verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Jesus is talking here about the king. Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, uh, probably better to translate the reign or rule of heaven. The word here implies the the power of God coming, the the rule of the king coming to earth. I really appreciated the way one commentator puts it. He says God is invading earth, But he's doing it in Christ Jesus. So right away, with the very first opening words of our parable, we see the truth that Jesus is trying to tell us, that God does not do things the way that we think. The first are last, and the last are first. He doesn't come, and he is invading the earth, that's true, but he doesn't come to invade the earth with the armies of heaven, with swords, with, you know, heavenly made cannons. But what does he do? The landowner goes out early in the morning calling laborers for his vineyard. God invades the earth, but he does it through lowly laborers preaching the word of God. As Jesus himself makes it clear in many parables, the parable of the sower of the seed, God's kingdom comes through that preaching of the word. And that is so contrary to the way that we think. Even today many Christians make the mistake of thinking that if we can only get the right people in political offices, then we can make a perfect, happy world. That we can restore Christianity and Christian morals through the way that we vote and by the people that we get into office. Certainly we should do our best to to vote for good people. I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. But we have to understand that God's kingdom doesn't come through political power. The people in office are a reflection of the hearts and the will of the the people of the nation. And God's kingdom isn't going to come when we get the right people in office, but God's kingdom is going to come as we see in our text when laborers go out into the vineyard to share God's word, to preach the kingdom. When God changes hearts through the preaching of His word. The first are last. Everything is turned upside down. It's not the the powerful soldiers and kings and presidents who have the the power to bring God's kingdom, but the simple messengers of the gospel. You know, India very much is, right now, is very much opposed to missionaries coming in, and they're doing a lot to, to try and stop missionaries. I was talking to the the mission board the other day about what it takes to, to get somebody in there to share the gospel. And in a sense, they're right to be afraid of those missionaries, aren't they? They're right to be afraid of people preaching the gospel because if their goal is to maintain a Hindu kingdom, they're absolutely correct that the most dangerous thing to them is these laborers that Jesus is talking about here who go out to share that good news. Well, the same thing is, is true in our own country as well. We see more and more people opposed to any type of preaching of the word. People opposed to even having a statue of the Ten Commandments at the courthouse. And I was just reading earlier this week about a, a county in California that was going to have some kind of celebration, Christian history celebration, a celebration of the, the, fact, that, the fact of what Christianity played in the history of our nation. And of course, immediately when they made this decision, there was lots of people up in arms demanding, oh no, you can't do that. You can't mix religion and government. And so there is this this fear of the preaching of God's word, because as we know, and as is clearly seen in history, it is these laborers, these simple people sharing the message of Christ risen, of our sins forgiven, that is how God's kingdom comes, how God changes hearts. God's rule is not political power or sword or or lightning from heaven, but it's laborers in the vineyard. We continue with verses 2 through 7. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. And again he went out and about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one hired us. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, you will receive. So well, we see here in these verses that the landowner, which is gone, of course, is not content with just a few laborers. He's not content with just those he found at the beginning of the day. But he is fervent. He is fervent in his desire to get laborers out into that vineyard to harvest every fruit that can be found. He doesn't want any left on the vines at the end of the day. And again, it's kind of uh, a little bit backwards here because normally we'd expect a landowner to sit around demanding that the laborers work harder. If there's more work to do, well, you just get the laborers to work harder. But instead, the the, the landowner is out there going out again and again. The hours that Matthew mentions are according to the the Jewish way of reckoning time. Uh, The the Gospel of Matthew uses the Jewish Jewish clock. And so it begins zero hour is sunrise about 6 a.m. And then he goes out just before sunrise probably. He wants to get the laborers out there into the field as as soon as the light starts. But then he goes out again every three hours at 6 and then 9 and then noon and then 3. But then, notice there's a difference. That last hour, he doesn't go out at the third, uh, three hours later, which would have been 6 p.m., but he goes out 11, which would be 5 p.m. Because, of course, 6, the sun is going to start setting. There's not really time left. But he's so fervent in his desire to get people out in that field. And once again, you'd say, well, what's the point of going and looking for laborers at 5? At most, they're going to have an hour to work, They're not going to get much done. But God is not willing that any fruit remain on that vine. Right? Even if they only pick half a bushel or a handful, He still wants them out there laboring, winning souls for Christ. The apostle reminds us that God is not willing that any should perish. And we see that in our text. The the ferocity with which the Landover goes out in order to call laborers into his vineyard seeking those who will harvest who will bring souls to god it it is incumbent then upon those of us who serve this master that we recognize his fervent desire to win souls to christ and we also go out as laborers with the same ferocity and with the same passion not because god is standing over us with a whip but because of the work that we are sent to do to call people to Christ. We continue with verses 8 and 9. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those come who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. So a denarius was a, a full day's wage. Now, we've already seen God's unmatched grace towards us sinners Uh, we see we saw it in the fact that his kingdom comes through the labors, through the preaching of the gospel rather than through armies and swords we saw it in his fervent desire to harvest every fruit to call every last person into his kingdom but now we see it even more vividly in the way that he hands out the wages And the wages are handed out not according to the work that was done, not according to what was earned, but according to God's grace, isn't it? Each received a denarius, whether they worked the whole day or whether they worked just the last hour or maybe even the last half hour. The full wage, the full reward is given to all. Not because they deserve it, but because of the love and grace of the Master, of our God. How hard is it for us to believe that God's reward, that God's salvation, is given to us freely based on his grace, not based on our works. Even those of us who hear it every Sunday and even confess it every Sunday and talk about it every Sunday and talk about it over and over again in our devotions, we still find ourselves slipping into that mindset that, well, I'm a better Christian than that person, Uh, Surely I deserve something more from God or slipping into the opposite mindset of, well, look at what I did. I know what I did. Surely God's forgiveness is not for me. And yet here comes the master giving a denarius to all. The wage, the promise, the gift of salvation, not based on what we deserve or on what was earned, but solely on God's grace. Again, the world is turned upside down. That's, that's no way to pay your workers, right? They just show up and work for half an hour. You still pay them for the whole day? How I many of us businessmen here, farmers out here would, oh, that's not the way to do it. And yet that's exactly what God does. And we finish finally with verses 10 to 16. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. You see how they're thinking like men, right? That's not the way to pay. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against a landowner saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. As we already mentioned over and over again, this parable highlights the grace of God. How his ways are not our ways. How his ways are based on love and his grace and mercy for us. These men, who were called first, right away, early in the morning, they had the whole day to watch and to see this grace in action. They had the whole day to see his ferventness to, to bring in the harvest and how the master was going again and again to the marketplace. They had the whole day to see how he treated the, his workers. They had, and then finally at the end, uh, they were able to see because he called the last first. So these who were those who started working early in the morning, they were the last to receive their pay. They, they saw his grace, his love in giving those who worked only a little bit the full day's wage, the denarius. And yet, instead of marveling, instead of wondering, instead of rejoicing in the grace and mercy of their master of of God they're blinded to the glory of his grace because of their greed right all they can see is that they don't aren't getting what they think they deserve and they're so focused on what they think they deserve that they miss this wonderful spectacle of the glory of god that is is right before their eyes we've been talking about jonah the last couple sundays and he's a wonderful example well in a negative way <laughs> hes a good example but not in a way that we should emulate of this exact same thing because we heard how there he was sitting on that hill overlooking nineveh again first row seat to the mercy and grace of god who forgave that wicked wicked city Of their sin when they repented and did not bring judgment on them but he's so focused on his desire that nineveh gets what's coming to them and gets revenge from god that he misses that display of god's grace and glory and instead is just focused on what he wants jonah was kind of like a a teenager who goes camping in the mountains and, and there in the evening the beautiful sunset behind the mountains maybe a lake there and and he's sitting there, he doesn't see it because he's playing on his phone, right? Missing the the glory of God because he's too focused on his own desires. Our psalm this morning, uh, in the beginning of the bulletin, is such a perfect one for this parable. Psalm 27, verse 4. Listen to what the psalmist says. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. So the Psalmist is expressing exactly the opposite idea of what those laborers, those ones who were first called, those ones who complained, were expressing, isn't he? He's saying, Well, the one thing I desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord. To dwell in the house of the Lord means to live in his word daily, to daily uh, come to the Lord in his word and abide with him, abide in Christ, as Jesus tells us. And he wants to, to live in that word, he wants to dwell in that house in order that he may see what Jonah missed, what the laborers missed in the parable, the beauty of the Lord. To search that word, to find the grace and glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus reminds us in John 5, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, And these are they which testify of me. When we come to the scriptures looking for a list of laws, or when we come to the scriptures looking for justification for us to be angry with those we want to be angry with, or when we come to the scriptures looking for God's punishment upon others, we miss what's really there, what's really worth watching and looking at, the beauty and the grace of our Lord through Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.10, Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. The scriptures give witness to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. How his kingdom comes and invades the world and our hearts through that proclamation of the gospel. How often aren't we distracted from the glory of the Lord because of our greed? Because we're focused on what we think we deserve, or because, like Jonah, out of anger and resentment, our eyes are clouded. Instead of spending our lives focused on, well, I think I deserve more, we should remove that greed from our hearts and from our eyes and look in wonder and joy upon the glory of the Lord who does everything, not the way man thinks it should be done, but according to his grace. Amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.